do your teams scale based on the things that you're building? Do they scale based on the company size? It's where we've gotten into this really awful model of like percentage of IT spend, right? Like, oh yeah, security is just a percentage of IT spend. And it's like, no, it's more nuanced than that. Um, but if you have, if we haven't at the foundational level segregated the budget out into the different functions, it will always be GNA. No matter how much you try to justify it, it's still going to flow back into that COO bucket. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Nick Vijay, who has been on the show twice before now, and he's back again because he's just that solid of a guy. Nick is currently security leader at Talon. He's also been a CIO in his past. He's been a CISO elsewhere. He's been an advisor. He's basically done a lot in this industry. And more importantly, he's a really good guy. But seriously, the most important thing about Nick is that he is the most budget-savvy CISO I know, and he is the perfect guest for today's topic, money. Now, I want to point out, last week's show was called Time. This week's show is called Money. I guess I'm going to have to do another brick in the wall and mother next. Um, Nick, thank you so much for coming back to the ranch. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And part of our Pink Floyd song title bonanza here. <laughs> All right. So let's start with uh, the basics. Um, what are your best methods for securing budget in the first place? We have to have the money before we can do anything else. How do you, how do you get the budget? I mean, a ton of begging, obviously. Um, I mean, it all depends on, on, on where you're at. Right. I mean, I know there's a lot of change in the market right now, both from, you know, uh, corporate finances, but also people changing gigs. Right. So did you, are you the first time creating the budget for this organization? Um, you know, at which point there's a lot of like getting to know people and understanding the how to, um, or is this a budget that you've already been managing? Um, and I think those are two very different, uh, mindsets, but I think thematically, is trying to figure out where the drivers are and how you tell the stories around spend um, and making sure that it's not just, I, I think that what we want to be able to do is to move away from this notion of uh, security spend and look at it from a security investment side, right? I, I love investment, that angle. Yeah, investment's about growth and progress and uh, making things better. Um you know, it's always that mindset that like a business has a limited appetite for managing risk and unlimited appetite for making money. And how do we make money? But by investing. So how do we change that narrative is really foundational to how you get that money in the first place. I like that. I like the, it's, you know, people stick on phrases and words, right? People's brains gravitate towards phrases and words and attach whole meaning to those phrases and words. And that subtle difference between investment and spend, it's going to stick in people's minds. The CFO is going to see you as this massive cost center every time the word spend lands in their ears, right? And they're going to see you more as something else every time the word investment lands in their ears. But I think to your point, you're kind of having to prove some of that investment. So that kind of, that kind of lends itself to the next question, really. Uh, how do you structure your budget to align with business costs, right? You've got R&D, you've got COGS, you've got GNA, et cetera. And I think part of how we demonstrate investment lies in those physics. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest struggles is that organizations historically have looked at security as a just like, it's the security budget. Mm -hmm. And we're very different from everybody else in an organization. Um, you know, what we have to secure 
from a budgeting perspective, so secure in terms of obtaining, not secure in, t- in terms of protecting, um, but is is really about um, you know making sure that your the budget itself at a very foundational structural level is broken down in the impacts that it has. So it's super easy for an organization in the for the finance department to say, well, security is a, a cost, and so it's all GNA. It's you know, and so it's all overhead. Okay, but then how do you scale your AppSec team, for example? If your if your company builds software products, right? You're now that that product security team should really be part of research and development and cost of goods sold, right? And same thing with your platform security team. So cost of goods, R and D. What other types of models do we have? Um, and so, well, I mean, so think about it from the perspective of like, how does how do the different parts of your team scale, right? Do your team scale based on the things that you're building? Do they scale based on the company size? It's where we've gotten into this really awful model of like percentage of IT spend, right? Like, oh yeah, security is just a percentage of IT spend. And it's like, no, it's more nuanced than that. Um, but if you have, if we haven't, at the foundational level, segregated the budget out into the different functions, it will always be GNA. No matter how much you try to justify it, it's still going to flow back into that COO bucket, as opposed to being under the C- in the CTO bucket or somewhere else. And it's always going to be overhead. So now, how do you you know align to those? And now, what are your uh, scaling factors, right? So for like product security, like is my scaling factor the number of developers, right, or the number of releases, or the number of products, or the number of whatever? So now if you increase the number of developers or products or products, now you've got the justification for scale and the justification for the budget to grow over time with the business instead of it being big bang things. Right, right. So R yeah, R and D aligned directly to R and D activities, which which are already seen, and we're back to that kind of that that words have meaning in the CFO's ears. It's investment again. It's not spend again, right? It's definitely investment. We're saying we're about to launch a whole new product. Well, a whole new product requires a whole new suite of security just de facto as part of being that product. It's just intrinsic. It's investment. It's not spend. And, and off you go to the races. And to your point, number of developers, number of repos, number of applications. There's plenty of metrics you can slice and dice in R&D. But I, I love that. So, okay, so that's the R&D perspective. And I, I, I misspoke earlier and said COGS early. Um, COGS is our next one. Cost of goods sold. So let's talk about how we can integrate there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is like the, you know, again, scaling factors. Um, and I'm going to use this like the uh, the like B2B or B2C angle as opposed to like, oh, you're in manufacturing just because it's it's easier for me, but it translates um, is just, hey, if you launch a new AWS region, right? Like now you're taking on additional, there's additional cogs for the business, but that's because you've got, you know, addressable market, presumably that's justifying that increase. But now there's an increase in, scale that you need to account for right but that's also part of the cost of goods sold like what it takes to actually you know do the thing that you're selling um and so again it's it's that scaling factor so what triggers the scaling besides you showing up at the you know at the uh, end of the year or in the middle of the year with your hat asking for more money it's like no let's not wait until the end of the year let's predict these scaling factors so they're actual trigger points that lead to scale right so that becomes a business decision. Uh, more t- all too often, we end up in these situations where the business scales in certain ways, and then security gets understaffed, and now starts asking for more money. But the business never accounted for that scaling along with the business, 
right? Along with the R&D or along with the COGS, right? Or the GNA. And so now how do you go and justify that? Now it's an unintended expense. Now it's a, you know, recalculating profitability and margins and stuff like that. That's massively unpleasant for the business. That They have to go back to the board now and tell them why the margins are affected. Right. right? All because of that security guy down the hall. Exactly. So how do you anticipate shift left, right? How do we shift all this stuff left? It's not just for development. It's also for budgeting. Yeah. And this is all about relationship with CTO. This is all about um, relationship with COO. This is all about um, getting into operations. And, you know, to your point, obviously with manufacturing, it's so much easier a story. But I, I had some guests on a little while back. We did an all BISO show. And I, I wish I keep saying this because I've, I've been quoting this forever and I can't remember which of the three BISOs said it. But the idea was essentially, I don't care what line of work you're in anymore. I don't care what your company does for a living. We are all technology companies, right? Something as simple as healthcare insurance is going to have this massive suite of technology products as a front end interface into their business offering, right? Everybody is a technology company now. And R&D and COGS are intrinsic to all of that. Every new launch of anything you do, like whatever, you're, you're, a, you're a, you know, you, do, you sell produce, right? Well, guess what? You're still going to have a portal, you know? And that portal is tied and intrinsic to each deal you have. And each deal you have, there's a COGS, there's, a, there's, a, there's an R&D cost. Like there's some way to leverage that and get in there. So I think your advice is very sound and very sage. Um, and I think it applies universally. I really do. I think at this point, it's impossible to not have some R&D no matter what you do for a living. I think the other really important thing too, and your CFO will love you pointing this out, is that R&D is a tax write-off. So the oh, more yeah. you have that separated out, the more you're prepping for that conversation and speaking that language, right? So every, every year the survey goes out, how much time do you spend on R&D so we can go and like write this off, you know, as a part of like, you know, business growth and, and investment. Um, and so like this still, this aligns strongly to that conversation at that point. All right. So we've covered R&D, we've covered COGS. What about uh, G&A uh, we've talked about? What about CAC? I mean, your your customer acquisition costs are are super important. That's where a lot of the kind of you know sometimes that the compliance motions come into play, right? How much how much time do you spend on due diligence, right? Or how much time do you spend on brand and 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 growth? And so, you know, and the marketing side of things. And so, I think the more you start aligning, those are kind of you know investment items those are like pre-revenue type of type of things and showing that you're able to influence those things and how you're aligning to those costs i think also becomes really important these are metrics that the business tracks right uh, at a financial level and so being able to speak to how you're involved in those things helps to highlight it and i think it also like as we partition the budget out into all these different you know these um domains it helps the business understand that security is more than just a cost. Like it is so much more complicated than that. And, and that's good. Yes, it's very good. And it also helps teach them that security is much more than just that effort going on down the hall over there. Mm -hmm. You know, th this idea that security is integral to the business, we as CISOs are constantly pounding that drum and saying we're integral to the business. This methodology is proving that to the business. There's no way the business can walk away. Once you've proven you're tied into R&D, you're tied into COGS, tied into GNA, tied into CAC, and not say, oh, yeah, these guys are integral, right? Like it's, it's, it's proof of, of mission, not just uh, finessing and fine-tuning a budget and, and acquiring that budget. It's proof of mission. It justifies the security existence in a way that most CISOs aren't touching at all, I think. 
I think the hardest part in all of this, though, at the end, is making it so that the CISO is still in charge of those elements that do reflect the charges back into those different areas. So it be it, it can become super easy for call it the CTO in, uh, on the R, on R and D that bills the majority of their budget into R and D being like, well, then I own the spend for that. And it's like, well, no, this is actually from a a governance perspective, et cetera, like how we actually have to structure this. So while it is, you know, present in COGS or it is present in R and D or it is present in GNA, security is still the thing that's, you know, kind of, you know, making the decisions around how that cost is, is happening with input from, right. But it doesn't become sole discretion of, you know, uh, another leader. And then because you could end up significantly atrophying, but that's again, where risk appetite comes in um, and making sure those conversations are happening the right way from the governance risk management perspective. So it's just something to be super aware of. It entirely depends on the personalities within the organization and how toxic the budgeting process is within that organization. Um, And especially when you deal with things like, hey, there are budget cuts coming It'd be super easy for the like the CTO, for example, to say, "Hey, I'm going to cut the product security people to save my engineers." Right, like that's the stuff you want to be super careful of, um, and making sure the protections are in place from that perspective. Yep, and and we're back to the earlier notion that a lot of this is about relationships too, right? If you're tight with the CTO and the COO on R and D and Cogs, well, you better be tight with CMO and CRO on CAC. I just need to say more letters in this sentence, um, <laughs> you know, but you get the idea, right? Like this is about relationship building too. It's about winning trust and confidence that, Hey, I'm partnered with you. I'm aligned with you. Our budgets are aligned and tied together, but you trust me as the leader to be doing all this. And a lot of this ties back to, as it always does relationship building. There's, there's a lot of education that has to happen within the organization to achieve this, because this is very weird for an organization's finance department to wrap their head around that your budget actually is aligned to different uh, financial metrics or financial um, structures. And so the, the biggest influencing that actually has to happen in order for these structures to even exist in the first place is working really hard with FP&A and your CFO to have them understand why this is important um, you know, and how this all works. I love this. This is this is true true insight and true wisdom here. Um, this is this is why I asked you to be on the show. So so let's switch gears here. Um, what are some good ways to save money? We've we've outlined our budget. We've built our budget. We've tied our budget in. Now, as with anybody with a budget, it doesn't matter whether it's scattered across Cogs and R and D or not. It's still your budget, and you still want to save money wherever you can and, and benefit the business through savings. What are some great money saving tips for CISOs? I mean, I think we're seeing this a lot in the industry right now, um, you know, kind of the, uh, retrenchment or consolidation of, um, of tooling of, uh, you know, how we do our work. I think I can say historically, we've significantly overcomplicated our existence, which leads to a lot of, um, it leads to a lot of, uh, a lot of waste. Um, and I think the first thing that we need to do you know, is really just be able to say, why am I actually doing this? Just because there's uh, the myth of kind of that um, sunk spend, right? And just like, well, I got to keep using it because I spent money on it. And so this is going to be a thing. It's like, but that, that, that spend is actually costing you more than you think. 
And so being able to take that step back and be like, am I getting what I actually expected out of this thing? Is it actually driving the ROI and, and the, you know, that I need is the TCO, the total cost of ownership, what I expected, you know, and it's okay to say no. Um, you know, and then also just looking at it more as like, you know, more, as more and more of these players understand that, you know, platforms are the way to go and that maybe you don't need the best of breed of every single solution in order to manage security and risk. Like these are, these are just realities, right? Um, you know, so I think, I think that to me is the biggest thing, like in terms of when I look at my current spend and budget, like that's one thing. Another one is just making sure that like, Hey, I'm using people in the right, um, you know, in the right capacities or how I restructure my teams in order to get the most efficiency out of and effectiveness out of them. Um, you know, and Hey, you know, sometimes we just have to prepare for the fact that like, they're going to be staff cuts too, right? Like you're going to get asked, you're going to get told to save money. Right. So it's one thing to manage your P and L. It's another to say that your P and L got like wildly affected by outside influences. And then how do you tell that story? Um, you know, and that then becomes the, you know, how you justify the spend on an ongoing basis. And that's where the risk management conversations have come in. And that's where being able to talk to the true effect of an effect, uh, an impact to an or- to your organization comes in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, but if you've laid those other fo- foundations that those conversations and how you manage those costs become a lot more uh, manageable. It becomes an easier conversation for sure. And, it, you know, it's funny to me. We always say that it's a three-legged stool, right? People, process, and technology. We say this all the time. Everything we do is people, process, and technology. And to your point, we evaluate our people. And we evaluate our people based on are you doing what I'm paying you to do and are you doing it effectively and are you doing it well, right? This is called performance review. We do this every year. We don't have a standardized method for performance review of process and technology, Right. Like, like this is, and this is what you're speaking to. It's like, Hey, technology stack, are you doing what I'm paying you to do? Right. And are you doing it well? Are you doing it efficiently? Are you beating schedule? Are you beating budget? You know, what is this going on, Mr. Technology? And I think tech stack rationalization, if you start with that same mindset, um, really, really comes to the forefront. And, and more importantly, we do it with process too, because process is probably one of the single biggest creep overheads to me. Um, take apart your entire operation and analyze how many hours of human time are spent on process that might be bad process, broken process, useless process. You dig in and find out somebody's entering the same data into four systems or, you know, the same form is passing eight hands when it only needs to pass one, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's the same thing. Hey, process, are you doing what I'm paying you to do, right? I think if we just maintain that mindset, I think, I think it solves a lot of issues. Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no-brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. It's that like constantly asking you, why are we doing it this way? Is this the right way to do it? And it's totally okay to ask that question. It's totally okay to be wrong, right? If we're not willing to have that conversation with ourselves, then again, we're back in sunk cost land. And so I always challenge my teams like, 
it's okay to say that if I knew if I knew then what I know now, I would have done this differently. Cool, let's go fix that, right? And if you're only doing something because that's the way you've always done it, I I'm gonna blow it up. Like I, I don't even need to continue the conversation. And so it's really it's that being able to truly like analyze in an objective way whether or not there's a better way to do it that it usually will involve savings, usually will involve acceleration, usually will involve a better deployment of human capital towards a problem or towards a, a solution. There's no one thing you can say to me that'll trigger me more as a CISO than, but we've always, right? But Absolutely. we've always is, 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 is a, oh, just, yeah, I just, I get immediately <laughs> riled. I'm like, no, I don't care what we've always, we're going to dig in and we're going to look and we're going to investigate, but we've always, I don't care that we've always, you know, yeah. it's like if I walked up and you were hitting yourself in the head with a rock and I told you to stop and you said, but I've always done this, like, okay. Um, all right. <laughs> Sorry, Brutal. little Alan rant there. I, I, Hey, we all get triggered, right? It triggers yeah. me too. That's one of my triggers right there for sure. All right. So vendor costs, how do we pound down vendor costs? So this is where, you know, for me, it's about that, that partnership, right? So we can, we can pound vendors by, you know, pitting them against each other. Um, you know, and, and that can be obviously very effective. Um, I think the other side of it is, you know, how do you how do you show that you actually want to be partners in a journey that you're an effective you have an effective relationship with them and that again this comes back to the investment piece like hey let's make an let's make an investment how about i have an interesting use case for you that maybe you haven't thought of that could be a really interesting business case study for you right things like that that you know I'm not going to hammer on the like, just pound them into the ground from a cost negotiation perspective. I think everybody knows that. I think everybody understands that like, that's totally a way of achieving things. I think the other, the other way is through that partnership side of, you know, um, being able to write, uh, you know, kind of helping them write business cases because that'll help on their marketing, um, being able to uh, speak about how it's an effective solution or the level of partnership, like help them grow their business by having you be part of their business. Uh, usually ends up yielding some pretty pretty good savings, um, especially if the companies are earlier on in their in their life cycle. Yeah, agreeing to be a logo is is one simple, super easy, casual tip. Like if you can get your company to agree to be a logo, use it judiciously. Don't just go slinging your logo everywhere. But that's one that's available. And then if you're willing to work with the early stage guys, design partnership. Like this this is this is a hyper extension of what you just described. Like like true design partnership. Like guys. You think you got something baked here. I like what your technology is doing. Let's jointly collaborate on how this actually works in the real world. It'll strengthen both of our positions. Without a doubt. And you end up with long-term savings that way too. Um, you know, I've been I've been design partner like a number of times over the course of my career where we uh, you know, we got in on the ground floor and saved a ton of money in the long term as a result of it. Took a little bit of risk up front you know, but it became wildly valuable. Um, I think another one is, you know, helping them with their customer advisory board, being able to provide more direct feedback. Um, so not necessarily design partner, but like being able to be part of that life cycle. And that usually feeds into some, some of the more mature companies. Um, but I think that's also like how you sell yourself as an organization, as a partner customer, right. Um, versus just a user. And I think that's really where the, you know, you'll be able to sell that value back to your back to your vendors to be able to get those cost benefits. Um, 
I also just find that, you know, hey, when I do that, when I'm in a bind with that vendor, then they're willing to help and bend over backwards to try to find solutions or try to make things better. And and that's just a better long-term, you know, ROI than just, you know, how much I saved in buying this thing over that thing. Um, that's super important. TCO and ROI are very, very important things beyond just what the money out the door was. Yeah, I agree fully. And, you know, to your point, the, yeah, anybody can, oh, I'm not going to do that. You got to give me an 80% discount. You know, anybody can play the pound, 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 pound on price game. But to your point about relationships, that's the same vendor that the second there's a hiccup or a snafu in the contract, boy, they don't give you the royal treatment at all, right? Like, you know, when they call and say, we noticed you're 10 endpoints above quota, your new price is, I can guarantee you that new quota is going to be high, not low, right? And you're going to have to forever live in a state of trying to pound them down. And once they've got you, they've got you and you lose traction. That strategy is not sustainable long-term. It's a pay me now or pay me later, right? You know, when renewal time comes around, they're going to look to recover that anyway, right? So unless you've negotiated a long-term, you know, renewal, maximum increase, you know, type of thing. Um, it's like when you hire a contractor to do work in your house. Uh, you know, if you if you demand a, a rigid, you know, very tight estimate, they're going to be very rigid and tight with you. Every extra screw that goes into your house, you're going to pay for. It's going to be a wildly unpleasant, high-friction experience that's probably going to yield an inferior product. I, I love it. That's a great way to explain it. That's a great metaphor. All right, let's see here. Uh, number five, question number five. This is the most important one, I think. Uh, and that is, what are some great ways that CISO can help the business make money? Oh, man, it's my favorite. I know, <laughs> mine too. <laughs> I, so I think there's a lot to be said about how security, you know, so there's all the things that we do to secure a business and, to, you know, minimize potential impact, right? So, but what we really want to do is show that security can actually have a top line contribution instead of only minimizing bottom line impact. If you don't know what that means, show them how you're going to generate revenue instead of just showing them how you're going to try to save them money or like prevent breaches. And so, you know, the, the reality there is that, you know, you can show that I'm going to help you make money by increasing your throughput, right? So we always talk about shift left, right? And everything's about, hey, let's shift left, shift left, fewer vulnerabilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine, but that's not the actual metric that we, we should track. What we need to track is actually how much faster did you deliver products? And those products generate revenue. So now how do we change that conversation around? We were able to, for example, show that by building out a product security incident response team, we would actually make the company money net along with hiring a, hiring a team. And the reason, the way you do that is by showing like, hey, by not having this, this is how much longer it took us to deliver X, Y, and Z products because we had to pull developers off the line, because we had to interrupt people's work stream, you know, just in general. And now it ended up delaying this other thing and that then, you know, delayed the revenue and here's how much revenue we actually, you know, would have earned if we had this in place. Right. So as opposed to just like, here's how much money like you would lose through an incident. And here's how much more money we make by not by having these operating rhythms and by contributing. The same thing goes for things like your SOC 2, right? Or your ISO or whatever, right? Shortening or you sales go and cycles. get it. Yeah. You go and get a trust portal put in, right? Or whatever it is that helps to accelerate the sales cycle. The usual statement is, oh, it's fewer questionnaires. Okay, great. That's fantastic. What you actually need to do is be working with your sales team to make sure that the due diligence phase is a very specific stage in your sales cycle, your sales life cycle, 
so that you can measure the time there. So you can measure the decrease in time each time you play with the variables that lead to the, the due diligence cycle duration, and then being able to tie that to actual revenue and saying, hey, like, hey, for example, we decrease the uh, the due diligence cycle by two on average by two weeks. Well, cool. Take the ARR for the customer, divide it by twenty six, and now there's your positive contribution to the to the top line, right there, right. And so, you know, this is how how we show how we accelerate. The acceleration is money, and we have to measure the money, not just the fact that we're not going, not the fact that we're not slowing the business down, but how much faster we were able to help them go. Right on. Any other good tips? So we've talked about sales and uh, sales acceleration, product delivery acceleration. Any other good top line tricks? Um, I think you know, as we show things like, I mean, again, it comes back to the shift left, but like deployment speed, right? And being able to show that, like, hey, we're actually able, like, we can because of the work that security has done with the SRE team, we're actually able to deploy a new region in like X amount faster to capture the revenue faster, right? Like that speed. We're very much part of that story, right? Everybody talks about like the whole like, oh, the brakes on the car. And so you can go faster as a race car because we have better brakes. You're still not part of the engine, right? You're still that thing outside of the engine influencing the car. What if you were the nitrous, right? What if you were actually like in the pistons, right? Like that's the difference. And how do you tell that story? What they care about is like how we're going to accelerate and how we're going to help drive the car forward, not how we're going to help it slow down quickly in case there's a problem. That's always going to be part of our job. But the story the business wants to hear, the revenue high they want to hear about is how you're the nitrous. I'm the ether in the carburetor. All right. So this has been fantastic, Nick. I knew you were going to be the right guest for the show. This is some amazing tips. I can guarantee you my listeners are going to walk away taking notes and re-listening to snippets of this show. Um, great insights you have brought to the table. All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on back to the ranch. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be a re-listen to and re-listen to show. I can guarantee it. Excellent tips, excellent, uh, financial acumen, excellent, uh, budget acumen. Um, this has been fantastic. Thank you again, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. All right. Thank you listeners. Y'all be good now.